So today's Bible reading is from, well, there's two. There's one from Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29, and that can be found on page 1,211 of the Church Bibles. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And then it'll be chapter 13, verses 15 to 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, uh, Kathleen. So just as I said at the beginning of this service, we're starting a five-week series tonight. It's called Back to the Future. We're looking at some basic building blocks for us as a church to take seriously as we seek to implement our vision here, which is to love God, love people, and to make a difference. And I also need, I feel I need to mention the four kind of new values I, I mentioned at the APCM. Was anyone at the APCM from this service? There's about 10 of you or so, so well done for getting there. Um, basically, um, I've identified four values that I think characterize um, a healthy church or a healthy way of following Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be looking at these values as well over the five weeks. The values, the four values, if you'll ever remember them, is up, in, out, and deep, up, in, out, and deep. So tonight I'm thinking about worship, which is up, um, which is as we follow Jesus, as we do life, as we do church, actually we need to be people uh, of worship. Now, I chose these four verses from the book of Hebrews just because they speak uh, about worship and they say quite a lot about worship. And there's a reference in um, chapter 12, verse 28 to acceptable ways of worshiping God. And so I'm quite interested in just seeing what the author uh, of this book, Hebrews, has to say about acceptable worship of God. And I don't know, has anyone read the book of Hebrews recently? Okay, oh, there's one person, maybe two people. Just for the benefit of anyone who hasn't read it for a while, or actually for someone who hasn't uh, read it at all, I just thought I'd say as we begin that um, it's um, actually unclear who wrote uh, this book, this book of Hebrews. Experts, theologians have looked at it. They've actually concluded when you read the text, when you go through the whole thing, it was clearly written by a Hebrew man. Uh, he uses uh, the, uh, the masculine personal pronoun uh, in Greek on occasions. And obviously, uh, they say he was very, very well educated, the author of the book, very intelligent, and they were very familiar with the Old Testament. And uh, actually, the, the 
the, the drift of the book, the focus of this book, or this letter, is, uh, is actually addressed to Jewish people who've come to faith in Jesus Christ, they become Christians, uh, they're very familiar with the uh, Old Testament, and actually they find themselves feeling a bit tempted to give up on being Christians and go back to Judaism, or they think possibly uh, as a community join a sort of Jewish sect and sort of revert back um, to um, uh, their, 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 the, the faith of their uh, origin, if you like. So this is the, uh, a little introduction to the book. Um, there are candidates for authors. People think probably it was either Barnabas, if you want to look at this more, look at Acts 13, or Apollos, uh, also in Acts, uh, are the probable authors of this book, one or the other of them. They fit that profile. I've just um, mentioned to you. And also, uh, it's an interesting book. It's not the earliest book in the New Testament, but it was written within 70 years of Jesus' death. Uh, why 70 years? In AD 70, the uh, temple in Jerusalem, Jerusalem itself, was trashed and sacked. And there's no reference to that in this book. So they think it was before then. So what we're reading, these verses are from the book of Hebrews or the letter to the Hebrews. And uh, it's an interesting, interesting um, document and uh, uh, book of the Bible. Okay, so let's jump into these verses. And uh, what I want to do is just characterize four things from these verses that the author of this book seems to say constitutes acceptable worship. And uh, the first thing I want to identify is that uh, the author uh, of these verses seems to say acceptable worship is characterized by gratitude. Acceptable worship of God is characterized by gratitude. Chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And uh, let me ask you, are you a glass half empty or a sort of glass half full person? Half empties? There's a few of you. Half full? There's a few more of you. Um, I think what can happen as we follow Jesus, as we do life, is that uh, we can actually lose our gratitude to God for who he is and what he's done. And we can end up uh, actually worrying about all sorts of things or feeling a little bit hard done by or concerned or anxious uh, about things. And uh, we worry about all sorts of stuff, don't we? We can worry about our relationships, you know, our friendships. How are all our friends doing? Are we in the right crowd? That sort of thing. We can worry about romances. We can worry about uh, our marriages if we're married. Uh, we can worry about jobs. Are we ever going to get a job? Um, you know, our careers or lack of them. We worry about money. Are we ever going to be able to buy a house? Are we ever going to be able to uh, pay a mortgage or um, pay our children through university? Whatever it may be. And uh, we worry about our health. We can worry about our future. What's going to happen to us uh, in the long term? Uh, are we going to be all right financially? And uh, all these sorts of worries that we often carry as people can actually undermine our gratitude uh, to God, I want to um, suggest. And uh, I'm not saying this is bad, by the way. I'm just saying, uh, actually, 
as we follow God, we can lose our sense of gratitude. And looking around the room, I know lots of you um, are in difficult situations. And, uh, you know, please don't hear this as a criticism. Uh, And if you are struggling and we don't know about it as a church, we'd love to know so that we can do all we can uh, to support you and uh, walk with you. So that's our sort of personal life I'm suggesting. We can actually lose our sense of gratitude, our our joy of life, our thankfulness uh, to God. And then, of course, personal life aside, there's the whole stuff that's going on in the world at the moment. I don't know about you, but I've been feeling, um, as I've watched various things, uh, a sort of uh, unease, or it feels like we're in a bit of a a shaky season in the world at the moment. And we've had, you know, quite atrocious um, and... Uh, unpredictable global terrorism. We've had uh, the migrant crisis. We've talked a lot about as a church. That's, that's been uh, deemed to be the worst humanitarian crisis since the Second World War, which with vast numbers, proportions of the global population moving around the place. And uh, of course, I've already prayed about Brexit. I don't know how you're feeling about Brexit, whether you're over it or whether you know what's you're going to be voting in the referendum. Hands up if you're pro. I'm only joking. Uh, you, all, you all tensed up then. You suddenly thought, what's all this about? But, um, and, and then there's the whole sort of, you know, Trump, Clinton, Cameron, Johnson, you know, all that sort of stuff going on. And it can feel like uh, things are a bit shaky or um, uncertain. And that can cause us to, to, in a way, lose gratitude or sort of confidence uh, in who God is. What's clear from these verses is that the author of Hebrews uh, encourages us to be thankful to God, whatever our circumstances. And uh, why is that? He says, well, in that verse I've just read, verse 28, we can be thankful because we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You and I are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In other words, he's uh, reminding his readers that God is alive. God is alive and he's active and he's actually bringing in his kingdom and his purposes are going to prevail and he is sovereign and actually uh, he stands in stark contrast to the dead and dumb idols so prevalent in Old Testament times. They're bits of wood. God isn't like that. God is living and powerful, and he's alive. And actually, this is a source uh, of great thanksgiving. And uh, what about all that sort of sense of uncertainty or the foundations being shaken? Uh, Interestingly, to put these verses in context, if you read chapters 11 and 12 of the book of Hebrews, um, the author seems to say, actually, you know, uh, the, the shaking, the uncertainty, some of this stuff that's going on in the world is actually part of God's plan so that the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth that God has promised and is bringing in through Jesus will shine even more brightly. And so there's this sense that Actually, be thankful, even with all the global stuff that's going on. You know, we have a God who is alive, a God who is in control, and uh, actually a God who has won for us on the cross through Jesus an extraordinary future, an extraordinary hope, 
uh, as we look to our lives, despite some of the challenges, which are very, very real, some of the anxieties and some of the uncertainties that we all face. I've got to confess, about 10 years ago, I was sort of born a glass half-empty person, and about 10 years ago, it was really annoying me because I was feeling pessimistic, and uh, I went to see a, a woman and uh, she was meant to be this wise sort of spiritual director. And uh, she said, how can I help you? She said, look, I just feel, um, you know, I'm a glass half empty person. And I'm not really uh, feeling great gratitude to God. And I, uh, my life is good and I don't know what's going on. She said, Mike, you've got a problem. I said, I, I know I've got a problem. <laughs> and she said, no, no, you've got a problem. You don't see the donut. You just see the hole. And uh, I thought, well, thanks for that. And every time I see a donut, I think of this lady now. And uh, uh, she said, what you need to do, if you're going to crack this, you've basically got to keep a gratitude diary. I said, a what? Uh, she said, a gratitude diary. I said, what's that? She said, just put a pen and a piece of paper by your bed. And every night, write down three things that you're thankful to for God. And be quite specific. Don't sort of write down every day, Bex and the boys. and eh, eh, eh. Actually, be quite specific. And so actually, what I do now is I write down six things uh, every night before I go to bed. I've done it for about 10 years. And when I can't be bothered to write them down, I lie in bed and I just count the fingers. One, two. And I have to say, that's been a great, great discipline in actually being someone who uh, uh, brings great gratitude and thankfulness uh, to God. And, um, you know, this seems to be the first characteristic of acceptable worship. People who worship God in an acceptable way are really, really grateful to him for who he is. They hold on to the fact that he's alive and that he's working very, very powerfully uh, in their lives. You know, God is working powerfully in your life. He's working powerfully in my life. I've got to be honest, most of the time I struggle to discern exactly what he is doing. But actually, I, I uh, am thankful to him because he is watching over me and he's guiding my steps and uh, he's doing all sorts of stuff, the likes of which uh, I know nothing about. So I'm thankful to God because God is alive. Second, it's clear from these verses that acceptable worship uh, is characterized by reverence, not just gratitude, but also reverence. Chapter 12, this is uh, 28 and 29. So I'll read the whole thing again. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. With reverence uh, and Oh, what is reverence? I looked it up in the dictionary. Reverence is a feeling or attitude of deep respect tinged with awe. What is awe? Awe is an overwhelming feeling of admiration or fear that is produced by that which is grand, sublime, or extremely powerful. In this case, of course, God himself. Now, when I'd been a Christian about six months, you know, I didn't really know a great deal. I was starting getting used to going to a church, and uh, uh, I was working as a lawyer in London. I was in this sort of flat on the Queenstown Road in Battersea. I had two flatmates, two girls. They were, we had a real laugh. They were away for the weekend. It was a Saturday morning. I thought, I'm going to go and get a coffee and uh, a croissant. 
And so I went to get a coffee and a croissant, sitting in the kitchen with a paper, and thinking, this is great, quiet, Saturday morning, this is fantastic, just chill out. And then I suddenly thought, oh my goodness, it feels like God himself is coming into this flat. And he's upstairs, and I can feel his presence coming down. I don't know what you would do, but I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And so I actually get under the kitchen table and um, lie on the floor, face down. And I'm thinking, please, um, hopefully he won't find me or see me. And I'm just praying, I'm literally just saying, please, please. Please go away. Please, please, I, I just please leave me alone. Please just go away. And I'm there on the kitchen floor for about 20 minutes. And it's just this overwhelming experience. And then the phone rang and I literally quick, go to my bedroom, get my mobile. Oh, hi, Mike, it's Laura, your twin sister. Do you want to go out for lunch today? Um, can I call you back? Uh, why are you whispering? Uh, I'll explain later. Don't worry. But it was this overwhelming uh, experience. And I didn't realize it at the time, but actually... I was overcome with the reverence of God. The thing is, you see, God himself is holy. He's not just alive. The God we worship is holy. And to use a theological term, he's transcendent, which means he's uh, above everything. He's other than everything. He's distinct from everything that he has made. He transcends it all. And uh, interestingly, Within the Hebrew and Greek, there are two main words for worship, and I want to look at them both. The the first one I want to look at is the Greek word proskunio, and it's this word for worship, and it actually means to bow down or prostrate yourself before God. That's what worship is, just bowing down and to prostrate yourself before God. Why do we do that? Because God is holy. God is completely holy and other than And um, when I was under my kitchen table, I hadn't been a Christian very long. I'd read a bit of the Bible, but not much of the Bible. And I I was unaware of the fact that actually uh, lots of people in the Bible, when they encounter God, just have a similar reaction to the one I had. Think of Abraham when he's pleading for God to save Sodom and Gomorrah. And, uh, you know, he says, by comparison to you, God, I'm dust, I'm nothing. I'm just nothing. Think of Job right at the end of his book when he says, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. I'm nothing, God. You are completely extraordinary and holy. Think of Isaiah. We we read this passage at the nine o'clock service this morning. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
And you see this going on into the New Testament. Think of Peter. Uh, He's called by Jesus. You know, they have that miraculous catch and the nets break. And this is what uh, Peter does. When Simon Peter saw this, uh, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Think of the Apostle Paul. When he's converted, there's this flash from heaven. What happens? He falls to the ground. Have a look at Acts 9. Think of John when he's on the island of Patmos. He has a vision of God when he's in the spirit one day. And he says this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead, as though dead. And it's interesting, isn't it? I don't know whether you've noticed, but in the Bible... Uh, one of the things that God often says to people, or God's messengers, the angels, often say to people when they encounter them is what? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Mary, fear not. You're highly favored among women. And so what I'm suggesting, what I'm saying tonight, is actually uh, acceptable worship isn't just characterized by gratitude it's also characterized uh, by um, reverence. And uh, I wonder how reverent your worship of God is in your life at the moment. And I have to say, this can sound a bit down, this can sound a bit heavy, or oh my goodness, but I have to say, um, it's critical that we worship God with reverence and awe, and uh, actually hold on to the holiness of God, because actually, It's through the holiness of God that we actually see just how extraordinary it is that Jesus offers us friendship. And you see, God isn't just uh, holy and transcendent. The other theological term is that he's very, very near and imminent. And so we find ourselves with this extraordinary situation as Christians where we are worshipping this God who is holy and other than and different, whose ways are not our ways, whose thoughts are not our thoughts, Isaiah writes in Isaiah 55, but actually who calls us into friendship with himself. And you get this sense of both the transcendence of God and the imminence of God in this Greek word for worship, proskunio, because it doesn't just mean to prostrate yourself before God, it also has a connotation of coming forward to kiss God. And so you get that transcendence and imminence. And often I find in conversations with people, when their spiritual life has gone off the rails or has got a bit dull, often what's actually gone is that sense, that reality of the holiness of God and the reverence of who God is. And actually just... Uh, We forget as we go on with God just who it is we're in relationship with. Have Have you forgotten who it is who has called you? Have you forgotten who it is, the magnitude of the person who uh, uh, you pray to? Have you forgotten uh, what you're caught up with, or should I say who you're caught up with? We we often um, forget um, who God is. So acceptable worship, therefore, is is about gratitude. It's also uh, about reverence. Thirdly, the writer uh, of the letter to the Hebrews says, actually, it's also uh, about sacrifice, worship, acceptable worship 
to God is also about sacrifice. This is chapter 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Now, my last church, I was standing by the door as I tend to after services, and I heard someone leave, and they said to the person uh, they were with, well, you know, that worship did absolutely nothing for me. And um, uh, I uh, was struck by that because actually what can happen as we follow God is that we can make worship about ourselves and not about him and about our needs and not about him and our desires and wishes and not about him. But actually at the heart of worship is the adoration of Jesus Christ. It's about him. It's actually not about us. We don't worship ourselves, we worship him. And I, I don't sound hard here, of course, our needs and our desires come into that, but the heart of worship is the adoration of Jesus Christ. And acceptable worship always involves sacrifice. You see that clearly in the Old Testament with the sacrifice of animals. Uh, that was very, very obvious. Thankfully, we don't have to bring sheep or goats every Sunday and kill them uh, in uh, our services. Uh, now, uh, under the terms of the New Testament, uh, we are required to uh, bring a sacrifice. And guess what the sacrifice is? What are we called, uh, actually, to um, uh, lay down as we worship? Well, we're called, actually, to lay down ourselves. This is the reality. We're called to bring a sacrifice of praise and lay down ourselves. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You see, God is not just alive. God is not just holy. God is also utterly unique. He's totally unique. And um, this is a key theme in the book of Hebrews. And uh, actually, he calls us to worship him sacrificially uh, uh, to the exclusion of everything else. And it's just worth remembering that uh, from time to time because if you think that's a bit extreme, isn't it? You'd be absolutely right. It's totally extreme. Uh, but have you noticed that God is completely extreme? He, he, he actually uh, wants our total devotion. I don't know whether you've forgotten that. He's extreme in his love. He's extreme in his kindness. He's extreme in his grace. And he's extreme in this call on our lives to lay down our lives and, and follow him. Take up your cross and follow me, he says. So this is important as we think about worship because as we think about this whole theme of predominantly worship being about him, not us, it means that actually we have to lay down certain things as we come to worship him. One of the things we do have to lay down is you know, our desires for our favorite songs to be sung, for example. Do you have like favorite songs that you love? You think, why can't we sing them? And why can't we sing them in this order? And do you, do you have that or is that just me? Uh, you've got to sort of lay that down and let it go because it's about him uh, predominantly. So we just need to sort of sacrifice those things. We also have to sacrifice other stuff. We could talk for hours on this, but you know, we have to sacrifice looking like we have it all together or our pride or, or wanting to uh, appear to, to um, uh, be in a, in a good place when we're not. And we have to actually come as we are when we worship 
God. And if if we're going to come as we are when we worship God, that involves uh, sacrifice. We have to come, uh, whether we're in a place of joy and praise or anger, whether we're full of doubts and fears, problems and difficulties, anxieties, depression, grief, um, great, great laughter and life fulfillment. Whatever it is, we just come as we are and we actually lay down our lives and actually lift up Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about, the adoration of Jesus Christ. That's actually uh, what acceptable worship is. So the letter, the author of the letter to the Hebrews would say, you know, acceptable worship uh, is firstly about what? Gratitude, thank you for listening. Uh, Number two, acceptable worship is about what? And number three, it's about sacrifice. Finally, uh, and fourthly, I want to say, it's clear from these verses that acceptable worship of God is characterized by service. This is chapter 13, verses 15. I'll read the whole thing again. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Now I said, you know, uh, there are two sort of main, in the Greek and Hebrew, two main words for, for worship. One is this idea of prostrating yourself before God, coming forth to kiss. The other one is this idea of service. And uh, it's there in the Greek and the Hebrew. For example, the Hebrew uh, abodah comes from the same root as ebed, which means servant. So acceptable worship of God always involves um, service. And you know this, and I uh, know this, I often forget this, but when we talk about worship, uh, we're not just talking about um, an hour and a half on a Sunday from 7 to 8.30 or, or the times when we sing songs and uh, the band plays songs and we join in and worship God. Actually, it's clear that we're called to worship God uh, Monday to Saturdays too, isn't it? It's our whole life worship. It's the choices we make, the places we go the things we say to people, the things we say about people when they're not there, what we look at on the internet, uh, all the way we sort of do our life is all worship. So how then do we worship God through service? Well, there are two main ways uh, this author identifies. I don't know whether you spotted it. The first is through witness, i.e. about speaking about Jesus Christ. And this is the fruit of lips that openly profess his name in um, verse 15. Acceptable worship in service of God always uh, actually involves us speaking about Jesus Christ, uh, speaking about who he is, the extraordinary things uh, he's done. And um, this isn't a burden, it's a kind of overflowing of just uh, seeing the uh, holiness of God, the aliveness of God, Um, the uniqueness of God. We just want to share it with other people. And so we do that and we we go for um, this and invest our lives in doing this. Now, has anyone seen The Night Manager? Yeah, so lots of people. Did you enjoy it? What are you giving it out of 10? Eight and a half. Well, I spoke to someone recently who... He 
said, Mike, you have to watch the night manager. You've got to watch the night. I said, okay, okay. And he said, look, seriously, get the DVD. I said, okay, okay, well, just watch it online. It's amazing. It's brilliant. And I said, look, you're going on about the night manager. Then I saw him later on the day telling someone else about the night manager. I'm thinking, God, you're going on about the night. Why, why are you going on about the night? He said, I love it. Passionate about it. It's amazing. Because we always talk about stuff we're passionate about. Have you noticed about that? Uh, just, and no one said to him, look, could you please tell everyone about the night manager? That is your duty. That is your service. As you follow God, just tell everyone. I know you don't want to, but do it anyway. Tell everyone about the night manager. He's just telling everyone about the night manager. And so um, there's this sense of we do that because we're passionate uh, about that. And we do that because God isn't just... Uh, alive. He's not just holy. He's not just unique. God himself is grace. And we've received his grace. And so we share his grace. I love what Michael Green writes. He, he writes this. He is the one who has made us and all the world. He sustains it, breathes life into it. He's the one who came to seek us out when we left to our own devices would never have sought him out. He is the one who died for us, rose for us, comes to enter our hearts, through, our, through the Holy Spirit and directs our way. He's the one who will, at the end of the road, receive us into his glory. Such is his amazing grace. So as people who have encountered God's grace, we share God's grace uh, with others. So that's the first way that we can serve uh, God. The second way is actually by uh, living a generous and countercultural life. We live generously and we live very differently to the life we would have lived had we not come to faith. And you see this um, in uh, verse 16. Don't forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And we're called, aren't we, to live differently. The second verse of Romans 12 says, Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and so on and so on. And so we serve God by living very, very differently, by living in a godly way, uh, in the choices we make, in our interactions with others, uh, how we use our time, our energy, uh, our money, how we... Uh, um, engage with other people is part of uh, our worship. Now, I was speaking to someone a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine, and uh, we had lunch, and he said this. I, just, I wrote it down at the time because I was quite struck by, he, by it. I don't know how you feel about this call to uh, speak about Jesus and this call to live a very different life. He said this to me over lunch. He said, when push comes to shove, Mike... If I'm really honest, I don't want to speak about my faith and I don't want to live a particularly different life. I want to do things my way, in my time, and on my terms, if I'm honest. Now, this guy comes to church every week. Uh, he's a great person. And uh, I was quite struck by that. And I don't know what you make of that, but I thought, gosh, I really admire your honesty. You know, you're just, you're just saying, like, saying it like, I, like it is. And I was sort of going into a sort of vicarly thing of saying, okay, how can I help him with that? How can... Then I suddenly thought, oh my goodness, you know, I'm a bit like that.
When push comes to a shove, if I'm really honest, I don't want to speak about my faith. I don't want to live a particularly different life. I want to do things my way, in my time, on my terms. And I've got to say, I'm a, I'm a bit like that. And, um, you know, there can be a sense of, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to, to, to bear the cost of some of this stuff? And, um, you know, I don't know, you're probably there. I mean, you know, when did you last have a conversation with someone about Jesus? Are, are you doing this? When, you know, are you living very differently? Uh, are you standing out? Or are you merging in? Do your friends even know you're a Christian? Do the people you work with know that you even come to church? Or do you just keep that quite quiet? You know, there's a call, isn't there? But the reality of it is, is that it's important that uh, I think we can hear this call to service, to witness, and to live differently as quite negative, or it's, oh my gosh, it sounds so hard, or it's a burden, or oh my goodness, this sounds like death. Um, actually, um, it's here that it's important to get this understanding between uh, the Greek word for service and the Hebrew word for service. Now, the Greek word for service uh, carries a sense of sort of submission, of bondage, and being a servant in a negative sense. But the Hebrew sense of service is actually it's about privilege. Being a servant of God is a privilege. Oh my goodness, I can speak about Jesus to other people? Wow, what a privilege. I can live this different life and, and, and God's going to use me to shine for him? Wow, what a privilege. I, I'm invited to be a servant of the living God. So do you see there's a different thing going on? And I want to, just as I draw this to a close, challenge us. I don't know how you feel about this. Um, the reality of it is, is that when we live the Jesus life, when we go the Jesus way, when we do lay down our lives for him, here's what happens. We don't end up um, confined and squashed and miserable. We actually end up finding life and life to the full. This is the promise of Jesus. So there's actually a real cost uh, of not doing this and not going this way. So this is important to hold on to as we think about acceptable worship. So can I encourage us to be thinking about our gratitude uh, and how we're worshiping God? We're never going to be a God, uh, a place that loves God, loves people, and makes a difference if we're not full of gratitude. Uh, to who God is and what he's done. Can I encourage us to think about the holiness of God and the reverence of God as we worship him? Because if we're not really interacting with God like that, um, actually we're never gonna have any impact uh, in Guildford. Can I encourage us to think about this idea of bringing a sacrifice of praise to actually lay down our lives for God and um, Therein lies great power. I don't know whether you've noticed, but when Jesus laid down his life, that's where the power uh, came. And it's true for us, where we lay down our lives, that's when power uh, is released in and through us. And also, can I encourage us to think about serving God in this season as part of our worship, to be speaking about Christ and to be living very differently 
uh, to how we would live um, if we hadn't um, come to faith. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Amen.